This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of the 3D Pod. Uh, my name is Joris Peels. I'm here, as always, with Maxwell Vogue. Hey, Joris. How you doing? How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm enjoying some sunshine here uh, in Valencia and stuff. And how are, how are you doing? How's Boston? I'm, I'm good. Boston's good these days. I'm, I'm still looking forward to getting back to New York soon, but we'll see what the world uh, allows. So who, who do we have today? Well, today we are joined by Alessio LaRusso. And Alessio, welcome to the 3D Pod. Hey, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for joining yeah. us today. Um, so Alessio is a CEO of Rebose, and Rebose is an Italian manufacturer of high-temperature uh, FDM uh, 3D printers. So these are printers that are usually uh, more expensive than just regular FDM equipment, and they're optimized to go at temperatures like a chamber temperature, maybe 100 degrees, uh, a build platform temperature 120, and then extrusion temperatures of 400 uh, degrees or 500 degrees. And the reason they do this and they have to control the temperature really well on this printer is because they have to uh, do use really high performance materials like pay, uh, like peak, uh, PEC and PAI and other uh, high performance materials and they have to be able to process them well. That's very, very difficult. And uh, so Alessio built his first 3D printer at 17 and started his company uh, very young as well. And it's been uh, uh, really successfully uh, spreading out around the world, selling to some really big, pretty big name customers and things like that. So we're really happy to have him. Uh, thanks for being here, Alessio. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm really curious to hear us about this first printer you built when you were 17. When, when was this? Yeah, yeah, N nice question. So everything has started when I was 17 and I built my first 3D printer. So uh, almost 13 years ago, now I'm 30. And uh, yeah, yeah, crazy. Uh, so the first years have been the hardest with little money to create a team. I dedicated all myself to produce the first printer getting as many skills as possible in a short time so incredible time for me so were you going to college at the after you at the same time that you were building this company or did you skip the college or what how does that work yeah yeah i skipped the college so you skipped the college okay yeah fine <laughs> <laughs> fair enough <laughs> that's how that works <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i prefer to be more concentrated on this project and uh, provide 100 percent of myself and then you did this all without funding too right you you managed yeah. to do yeah. bootstrap yourself completely really really i i did this in the in the first days with peanuts really peanuts and uh more than money i invest all my time and my passion in this in the first days and and what was the first printer like i mean what was it uh, what was it capable of and how long did it take you to make it i spent two years to build my first 3d printer and after two years uh, it started to move a little bit and <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was a great time it was a great time really fun and uh, after two years i started also to understand how to improve that that technology i mean imagine 12 years ago 13 years ago 3d printing was in the really beginning days my thought was how this technology could achieve more performances, more accuracy, and become a real production technology. So I spent nights 
literally night to understand how to improve the technology and how to bring the technology to the next step. And in my opinion, the 3D printing technology was perfect to um, produce customized parts. So I started to understand how to improve this and how to achieve production capability in, in this kind of machine. And um, the experience uh, I did at that time was very, very useful because I used to work for another company, a small CNC shop, where uh, I, I worked with CNC machines that were, and they, they are uh, um, extremely accurate, uh, accurate, I mean. So mm. uh, at that time, I, I decided to understand how CNC machines work and I understood that they work with a mechanical movementation by racks, pinions, ball screws, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, that was the intuition. So put a mechatronics movement by racks and pinion on a 3D printer. And this is how everything started. It's that's so crazy because you know today you're like, of course that's how you do it. But obviously at the time everyone was doing belt driven and things of that nature. So but yeah, it's, it's a good step. <laughs> what was the biggest challenge to all of that? Well, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, build right team was one of the most difficult thing I ever had. Uh, and uh, even in, at the same time, trying to understand the go-to-market strategy, trying to understand... Um, the most important things that customers will achieve with the 3D printers. So everything was, was quite difficult in the first days because essentially I used to do everything. I mean, when you are in the first days and you are just four, five, six in the team, you need to do everything. Yeah. So you, you, you need to take care about finance, you need to take care about engineering, you need to take care about R&D, customers, relations, and everything. So uh, I try to put all the things on, on the table and the work step by step. So I was very concentrated in the first two, three years just on product development, because in my opinion, before going to the market, you need to be sure about your product, the performances you can guarantee to your customers and be confident in this. So I used to spend the first three years of, from the company foundation to create the best product I, I, I could. And um, then step by step, I decide to, to concentrate a little bit more on finance, on the go-to-market strategy, uh, to create the right ecosystem around the 3D printer, et cetera, et cetera. But the product development was and is my, one of my passion because I, I'm a product guy. And how did you manage to fund yourself? Because you're talking about two to three years, five to six people. That's like a lot of money. But is that all self-funded or were you selling some machines at the time? Yeah, yeah. I used to build my first, our first stand machines with my hands. So yeah. I, I, I built the first stand machines and I visited the customers around our facility at that time that was a garage. And uh, I, I used to, to, to sell also these machines to the customers. No? So this cash flow in the beginning helped me to start hiring the first people. And then what, what kind of customers did you have in the beginning? Who bought those first machines? very small CNC shops like the company I used to work for because uh, I, I, I knew what that, that kind of company wanted from a 
from the 3D printer. So Jake's fixtures and this, and this kind of thing, basically at that time. So I used to sell these machines to CNC shops, to uh, small mechanical engineering companies and stuff like that. Yeah. And when did, you, when did you start focusing on high temperature stuff? In the very beginning. I mean, we worked on peak material since 2015. And uh, because once we achieved the best accuracy and the repeatability possible with our beltless technology, we decided that a new step was necessary. And the new step was to introduce very high performance polymers and, um, and composite materials because otherwise you, you, you just have the possibility to make the most accurate Yoda uh, <laughs> and keychains. So that, that was not the goal. Uh, we, right. want to, we wanted to do grid and uh, real stuff. So things that need to perform in extreme environments. So we decided to focus all our attention in materials science and chemistry and um, at that time so we created our material science and chemistry team and today is one of the uh, most important assets in the company so we are capable today to develop our own materials we also have some uh, material production capability in-house okay that's interesting i didn't know that yeah. so you want to make your own materials so but let's, let's take a little step back for the people that, that may be are a little bit uh, less familiar. You've got, um, so basically, um, you've got a bunch of bulk plastics, right? So HCP, uh, uh, polypropylene, ABS, which are really low price, let's say $6 or $10 or kilo or something. And they're typically used very temporarily, like HCP or something like a, or LDP or for plastic bags and things like that. Or, you know, in some cases, polypropylene you can use for long-term stuff as well. Then you've got engineering plastics like nylon and polyamide, right? Polyamide 6, polyamide 12. And these are higher performance, higher cost materials as well. Um, uh, polycarbonate, for example, is a material that just doesn't, it, it, it's hardened for impact and things like that. And then above that, you've got, I don't know, ultra, ultra materials, high performance engineering plastics. There's a the whole bunch of different terms uh, for, for these materials, the high performance materials. And these are like peak uh, polyether ether ketone and PAK, which is a family of materials, includes peak. Uh, that, and this material is very trendy and has a really high um, uh, continuous service temperature. And it's got really high strength and stiffness and chemical resistance. And you can, and, and uh, it uh, actually self extinguishes. So you can use it on board like an aircraft, for example. Hmm. Uh, um, and then you've got uh, Ultem or PEI, P -E -I, which is a, a, a very, very similar material, which is actually much easier to use. Uh, and then you've got other things like uh, a lot of stuff with P, actually, I've, I've just noticed. Um, <laughs> and like PPS and stuff like that, which you probably don't want to use, or PI or PBI. So those kinds of materials. And then the ones that are really interesting now is Peak, because you can use it for, uh, in the body and in engineering applications, and Ultem, because you use it widely on uh, different grades of Ultem on aircraft. So anyway, sorry, a little bit of uh, uh, some background for the people that, that may be not into materials as much as Alessio is. So what are the, if we're looking at these materials, so they're functional, but what are the challenges in printing them? What are the challenges in using them? Good question. Uh, so the major part of people think that printing these kind of materials is just about extruding uh, peak or ultim, but it's not la it's easy like this. I mean, process this material, uh, includes a series of combination of processes, 
management of the material, extrusion process, heating chamber, drying the material before and during the entire print. So it's an ecosystem of things that you need to put in place to process the material with the perfect conditions. Because these materials are very hygroscopic, so they tend to absorb moisture. Uh, you need to process at right TG temperature in the, in the heated chamber. And the way you heat the chamber while you print the, those kind of materials is so important. So the right flow, the right temperature, the right amount of air, everything is important, as well as the extrusion process. So it's not just about extruding peak or extruding ultim or high temperature material in general. It's about the entire process you need to have and you need to be, and you need to guarantee to reach the maximum performances, the repeatability of the results and the output of the quality. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think like, for example, like peak or something might cost several hundred dollars per kilo, depending on the grade and depending on what the application is suited for. And so if you then make a mistake, it's also very expensive. And in peak, what a lot of people do, they print brown sugar. So it doesn't crystallize really. It looks a bit like a heap of brown sugar or they have specking on the parts with the crystallization, or they then compensate, and then they put the temperature of the extrusion way above 420 or something to, to compensate and try to get the part to crystallize. So, and then, it, then it, yeah, it's horrible. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, so generally I think, I think the, the challenges here are, are the control of this whole system. So does that mean now you have a lot more engineers than if you're making just a regular FDM company? You have a lot more things you have to, uh, take into account or you have to do a lot more with software what are the consequences of this for you as an organization well the, the consequence is that today we have uh let's say the major part of engineering backgrounds uh possible i mean we have chem chemists we have material scientists we have uh, mechanical engineers electronics engineers firmware software engineers industrial engineers because design a system so complex as Arga is uh, requires a, a, a multitude of backgrounds, competences, know-how and expertise. Because it's not, again, it's not just about putting three axes and extrude the material. It's about control the right process, being sure to process the material at the right time, with the right temperature, with the right conditions. So, for example, Argo 500 is equipped with a dryer where the material is stored and there is a cycle before the printing process so we 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 mm, take care that there is the right level of humidity inside the spool mm -hmm. before starting the process and if we don't reach the right level the print doesn't start uh, so we take care about all these things like auto-loading, the, the auto-bed leveling, and the, all the features we, we design. Because the most important thing for us, but especially for our customers, is being sure about the result, but even more important, being sure about the repeatability of the result. Right. Because in regulated industries like aerospace, defense, oil and gas, automotive, you, you have to guarantee the repeatability if we want to really talk about production. Otherwise, we, we, we can just talk about rapid prototyping. So the robust customers today are using our machines to realize customized production with a process repeatability ensured by the machine. So this permits us to 
print the same part in Houston, as well as in Singapore, as well as in Hong Kong, as well as in Italy. And, and this is also the, the concept behind our distributed manufacturing network in the world, robust 3D parts. So it's to permit to our customers to print the same part locally, but with a global coverage, being sure about the same repeatability process all around the world and being sure about the output quality. So a part printed in Singapore will be exactly the same to a part printed in Chicago. And this is very important for our global customers because in this way, they can really digitalize their inventory. They can produce parts just when they need on demand locally, realizing global production so that's the key in our opinion and and i think it's a good it's a good uh, i think it's a good uh, idea so it's, it definitely for the regulated industry you need this traceability you need to know what's going on in the part you need to know what's making it and you need to be able to show that to the customer as well so so the repeatability i think uh, correctly I, I think that is really the key part and I think it's interesting about the part service that, that, that repeatability leads, allows you to do that and allows you to take it to the next level. But how does the part service work? So actually like you have a website, but then the printing is done by partners or how does it work? Yeah, so we have a global network of third parties companies, uh, usually CNC machining companies, injection molding, compression molding companies, or engineering companies. So they join our network, they get one, two, three of our machines and joining the network, they join also our business development team. So the way we uh, get contracts and we generate business is through our online platform and through our business development team. And our uh, business development team works direct with the major uh, industrial companies in the world. So today we ensure them producing uh, medium high volumes of parts around the world uh, just in time and on demand. And this is something very interesting for our, for our companies because uh, at the moment they, they jump into the network, they already have an amount of orders, they already have business to develop, okay? So it's, it's we, we, in the reality, we are providing to our partners machines with revenue inside, because thanks to the business we created, we can ensure also to our partners to have a certain amount of orders already committed, already provided to them. And, and this is, is creating a very incredible uh, traction and we launched this business just four or five months ago and oh. we already have a pipeline of 10 partners in the world and we already printed more than two, uh, 20, 20,000 of parts globally in just five months. So it's, it's, it's something that um, uh, it's meeting the right needs in this moment from our customers. Produce locally, just in time on demand, extreme end use parts, being sure about repeatability in a global scale. And I, th I think it's interesting because it also kind of could be seen as competing with your customers. I know in the beginning, like Stratus is red eye. A lot of people were not really happy and, and uh, about, you know, they're competing with the customers. Do you have that problem as well? That customers are a bit antsy about this, that they're taking business away from them? Not in the reality, because our customers in, 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 uh, are, are taking part more and more about this 
network. I mean, our custom, oh, the customers we used to have, like service bureau, etc. Uh, some of them already joined the network because they see a great value in being part of something bigger that, of course, provide them the possibility to work with global companies. So we today we have some global companies that orders the part in U.S. in in Europe the local partners we have in the regions take part of this business. So we help them to increase the business, differentiate the business and being part of, some, of something bigger. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, yeah. Cause most service businesses are local. They're really tied to one area. And, and right. so, so I, I can imagine yeah. that being able to work for BMW or something, uh, you know, would be really exciting for them and be able to make them diversify a bit more as well. Is this the future? So you, you do anticipate to go and continue on with machine sales and also do then at the same time the service? Is It's kind of like you're going to try and do both, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. We have one unique value proposition. The, the value proposition of the company is to solve our customer supply chain and production problems. And the way we do is the most interesting way and the best way for our customers. So it doesn't matter if there are parts or if there are machines. The most important thing for us is to help our customers in reshaping their supply chain, getting the parts and produce globally with ensure repeatability. So ensure the performances of the parts and solve our customers' problems. This is our mission. Okay. And that, that sounds very, very customer centric, which is good. And then, you know, what are your plans then for, do you want to expand geographically, get into more countries? Do you want more resellers? Do you want to do more direct? What, what kind of like way, how are you going to approach this market? We are very concentrated now in the expansion into US. I, I think you're already aware about that. We set an operations headquarters in Houston, Texas. We are uh, hiring massively now people there and across the U.S. in generally. So we have many sales positions, business development positions, pre-sales, post-sales, um, application engineers position. So we are, we are going to hire additional 40, 40 people until the end of the year. We are almost 80 right now. So the goal is to to reach 120 people, establish our presence across US first. Three weeks ago, we also set up our branch in Germany, in Munich area, uh, because Germany is going to be a very, very important market for us in Europe, as well as Italy, UK, France. So yes, we have a lot of plans. Okay, that's good. And that's, that's nice that you're in Munich, because I mentioned BMW. <laughs> um, and, and also you're Houston. So that must, I mean, Houston, I, I think oil and gas, I don't know if that's maybe very limited in my thinking, but that, is that a big a customer of yours? Is that why you chose Houston? Oh, yes, it's huge. Oil and gas for us is huge, because uh, the materials we process, the technology we provide, and the global scalability, we ensure the major oil and gas companies today provide the possibility to digitalize their inventory, save cost, save time, and produce spare parts just in time and on demand. So robust technology was already qualified, used by the major oil and gas companies in Houston, Texas, and, there, and around the globe. So you're, that's a huge expansion because you're going from 80 people, you're going to like, uh, you know, you're going to a really, really big expansion. Is that being funded by you guys or do you have investors now or is it, is it revenue or, or how, how are you funding this? Yeah, yeah, we have investors. At this yeah. point, we had our first round of investment in the end of 2018 with uh, Intesa Sao Paulo, which is the 
uh, one of the five biggest financial institutions and banks in Europe. And we are going to have our Series A uh, during the next month to, to, to finance, to fund all these new operations and uh, the new expansion. So we are going to raise uh, dozens of millions in the, in the next month. Okay, okay, that's, uh, that's exciting. And is it, it, was it different for you to deal with investors? Because that's like, you know, you, you've been kind of sailing your own course now initially. Now all of a sudden you've got, you know, more cooks in the kitchen. Was that difficult for you as an entrepreneur? The, the, the first time you, you, you do is difficult because you, you don't speak their same language. Right. Their you vocabulary is so different. <laughs> you, speak, you speak the um, entrepreneurial language and not the financial one and, and not the VC one, which is something very different. So for me, it was a kind of shock the first time because uh, I, I used to, under, to understand everything and they speak a completely different language. But now after two years dealing with investors, having board of directors, meetings, et cetera, et cetera, I think that I'm on the right track right now. And uh, I, I can deal with investors as well. But uh, it's tremendously fun. Uh, nice and when you find the right investors uh it, it it's very it's very good because it's a win-win partnership at the end of the day you want to be successful they want that you are successful uh because they want of course the return of investment so find the right investors and find the right people in the vc that you that that you get in touch with is crucial because at the end of the day vc funds are made by people and if you if you find the right people behind the VC, yeah, you will have much more probabilities to to be successful. Mm. Yeah. And how did you do it? What were your criteria? What, what did you? What made it click with the people you ended up working with? Well, first you need to to understand if the people you are speaking with, if if they can understand what you do. Uh, I don't know if you. You know what I mean? No, if they can comprehend what, right. what your vision right. is and see right. the over, yeah. Right. They, they need to have a footprint in the industry at least. So right. they need to have the right background because they, they have to understand the, the, what, what your plans are, how it is to, 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 to lead uh, an industrial company. Uh, so they need to understand everything. And possibly the, the maximum is when your investors are ex-entrepreneurs and if they had similar experience. So they can also suggest you some ways uh, to, to achieve faster goals, to, to avoid some, some mistakes. So that's the perfect combination. So money, but money with value. This is what I mean, money with value. Mm. Okay, okay. Well, I think that's a good point. I think it's very careful. To, it's easy to rush into the best terms or the most money or something like that, but then you're going to be stuck with them for a very long time or the life of the business. And that could be a very unfortunate uh, uh, state of events. I yeah. always worry about dumb money with yeah. firm investors when you have dumb money where it's just like, here's some money. And then, as you said, they don't know where they're coming from or what they're talking about. And then you have to explain to them constantly what's going on and what you're doing with their money. Um, so mm -hmm. I, I always avoid dumb money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And and so besides the U.S. thing, are you also investing in? in well, I'm guessing you're investing in new products as well. So you want to, uh, you got the service. You want to make your own materials, and obviously you're going to be doing something on, with machines as well. Or, or are you going to be focusing more on software? What are kind of some more future plans that you have? 
Yeah, we are we are doing all things you you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah, because at the end of the day, you yeah. you, you you need to work on everything. I mean, yeah. you can't concentrate just on software or just on materials and uh, forget about the the feature of the machines and the automation of the machines, etc. So we are working on everything. I mean, we have. Um, as I mentioned before, we have a material science team and we also have some production, some materials production capability in-house. So we have some extrusion lines. And we don't use this, the extrusion lines to produce our materials, but we use to advance more and more in the materials development. So materials are central in our strategy. So everything starts from materials because materials solve customers' problems. Yeah. materials solve applications and the machine must be designed to achieve the best performances with the materials used to solve the customer's application so this, this is our strategy and of course software uh, is, is part of this strategy more and more because we are getting more and more artificial intelligence in, in the machines we are working to to speed up the building process um, the automation process of the machine so we want to increase the productivity and etc etc so but everything start from materials my opinion is there a bose open at the moment can i put in any material i want but you would prefer me to use your materials how's your strategy on materials in that, in that sense so what we provide to our customer is a complete ecosystem and uh, a complete process solution to perform and to produce end use parts. That being said, we don't want that our customers feel uncomfortable uh, in working with just with our materials or something like that. So our machines are open, but what we provide to our customers in terms of repeatability of the process and in terms of performances, we, we showed, we demonstrated we can achieve with the complete ecosystem. When the complete ecosystem is ensured, for our customers is much more important than change materials or change one of the parameters uh, and one of the thing in the entire process because they want to be sure about the result the productivity and the, the scalability and again the repeatability of the process so for them is 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 all these things are much more important than 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 everything else so they prefer to use our materials but we don't oblige them to do that uh, and how are you with like integrating into, because that's another step, if you are going to do more manufacturing, if you are going to do traceability and traceable parts, you have to start integrating with all sorts of MES systems or ERP even, or, or all sorts of other, other systems. Are you also working on that and, and working with other software companies and things like that? Or? Absolutely, yes, yes. We have some projects ongoing uh, in, in this kind of field and uh, traceability, uh, even the, um, the traceability of the printing process for us is very important. And for our customers in regulated industry is massive. I mean, all our Argo system are equipped with log system. So the log system tracks all the information, parameters, and temperatures reached in the entire process. And thanks to this, you can create a digital twin of the part you just print 
And in this way, you can also print again the same part with exactly the same parameters, temperatures, humidity in the material, exactly the same to achieve the same performances and the same repeatability. So traceability of the material, traceability of the printing process, repeatability of the printing process are key for our customers in the regulated industries especially. I was just going to ask if there are any production parts that you can reference. I realize that some of your clients might not want you to do that, but is there anyone you can mention that you're like, these people are making this part and it's in this thing? We have some, for example, some valves, O-rings, and gaskets uh, in the oil and gas application. So we have parts performing in this moment in, in, in the field. In the yeah. field, offshore and onshore platforms. Uh, we have parts in defense applications, we have parts in railways, uh, we have parts in the electrical mobility, which is going to be a very interesting market for us thanks to the installation and thermal properties of peak material. Mm -hmm. We have a, a lot of applications in the regulated industries where the performances of the material, the, the printed part, and the repeatability of the printing process is very, very, very important. And what material, so, so you're using, you have a lot of carbon fiber loaded and, and uh, glass fiber loaded materials and stuff like that. There's, we know that there's a lot of people doing a lot of production with the PACF or polyamide carbon fiber and, and materials like that. We know that there's a lot of interest, very high degree of interest in different carbon loads from aerospace for peak CF uh, materials like that. I mean, what, what are some material trends you see, especially in the filled materials? Well, carbon peak is uh, is a, is a king uh, of our portfolio right now. So, because in one unique material, you have the mechanical performances offered by the carbon fibers, you have the uh, chemical resistance of peak, you have the thermal resistance of peak, you, you have the holy grail of material. I mean, in the one unique material, you can satisfy a multitude of applications and um, replace metals. That, 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 that's the key, replace metals. Are you trying to move into new industries? Are you really happy with the industries you have right now? Or do you see yourself like, you know, you could have an approach that you're super targeted, but you seem to have already a couple of different industries already, or you can have like a really broad kind of shotgun type approach. You know, what, are you, what are you in between those extremes? What are you, what are you trying to do in sector and industry wise? Well, yeah, we are very uh, focused and vertical on, on sectors uh, I mentioned before, like oil and gas, aerospace, defense, automotive, electrical mobility, manufacturing industries. So we are very vertical in this kind of sectors. And uh, we created expertise, know-how, uh, even thanks to our application engineering team in this particular field. Of course, we also have other applications, but in this vertical market, we are very focused. Today, we are exploring uh, new possibilities into new sectors. For example, growing demand, we are seeing from space industry, new space. Mm. So our materials today are going to be used uh, in space like CubeSat, nanosatellites, nano uh, antennas, and all new possible applications thanks to the new space economy generated by also the interest of private investors and private companies into, into the space. So we are seeing a huge demand from this sector and uh, I suppose it's going to be one of the most important sectors in the next five years. Yeah. Okay. And do you, if you're looking at that kind of a thing, I'm, I'm super bullish about commercial space as well for our industry. I think it's, if we're looking at how much has been used in metals as well already, 
and how they're already becoming some of the biggest customers and they're all using it to develop uh, propulsion systems and much more besides, like all of the players. Uh, yeah, it's insane. We're becoming the de facto technology for manufacturing uh, rockets and things like that. So it's, it's, it's really exciting. So I think, and I think there's a, a lot of opportunities for polymer as well. Uh, if we look at the, this kind of exciting, it's an exciting time, but then if we're going towards more manufacturing, you know, you could see it as uh, the printer being a box, which is now, uh, you know, the case. You could see the printer being part of like a line, right? Uh, or you could see the printer being kind of integrated into manufacturing in a different way, you know? So how are you guys looking at that, that, that kind of thing? Because there is still is a lot of handling involved. There still is, you know, you have to take things out of a box, and, you know. So how are you looking at this automation part of this? We see more and more our machines integrated into manufacturing lines and uh, next to CNC machines, next, next to injection molding machines. So we see that customers are starting to integrate the 3D printing technology, robust machines as a production technology for customized series, which doesn't mean that we, we, we are going to replace CNC machines or injection molding. It's not. I mean, our technology today provides the possibility to produce low volume, medium volume series part without having the cost of setting a new injection molding line or et cetera. But they can coexist together. They can work together. They satisfy different parts of the product development, global scalability and, and production of the parts. So it's going to be more and more integrated into the manufacturing process. And this is something that we see every day more and more. And, and where do you hope to be as a company in like, let's say five years, what do you hope to have achieved? The goal we, we have uh, is to, to help our customers in solving their industrial problems. And this is, this is our mission. I mean, we, we, I, I'm not saying we will, uh, we will be market leader, we will conquer the 50% of the market and blah, blah, blah. What I want to say is that we want to deploy our technology and we want that our technology is used more and more to produce customized parts, helping our customers in saving costs and time. And this means have a global footprint, this means have a global presence with uh, thousands of machines working at the same time and realize what we call robust distributed manufacturing network and on-demand and uh, just-in-time production. Okay, it's very ambitious still, but I, uh, I think it's interesting to see you think in the vision things and not per se a share of stomach or market share or something like that. It's, a, it's, it's more about the bigger picture, let's say. And, um, and uh, how are you guys, uh, like, what's your, like, have you guys, uh, the COVID thing, of course, has impacted everyone, and uh, we haven't talked about it this time. How has it impacted yours and your company uh, specifically? So COVID-19 wasn't a real problem for, for robots. Um, uh, during the, the lockdown, we launched our robots 3D part distributed manufacturing business and was was a success. COVID-19 show us how obsolete is the current supply chain and uh, how obsolete are today some of the production process we have. So the goal of the company now is to, to bring back the manufacturing to America, to Europe, to produce locally, to realize customized production just in time and on demand. Uh, helping customers in saving time 
and in saving costs. So to be honest, coronavirus was not a real problem and um, the company uh, is continuing the, the growth very, very fast. Hey, thank you so much, Alessio, for being with us today. That was, uh, was really enlightening to tell us about your story uh, as an entrepreneur and to tell us about your business. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you all. It was a great pleasure. No, yeah, it's good having you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. And, um, uh, and Max, thank you as well for participating. And uh, I think you enjoyed it as well, right? Oh, always, Joris. Thanks. Thanks for hosting. Awesome. All right. And uh, thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, my name is Joris Peels. This, today we had uh, Maxwell Vogue and Lesho from Robos. And uh, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it and keep your suggestions and ideas for people on the show uh, coming. Hey, thank you so much and uh, have a great day.